Well, blessings in the name of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. I am incredibly joyful uh, to be with you all this morning. And in fact, the Father, as I was spending time with him this week, has just shown me more of his heart that he desires to be in intimacy uh, with this city of East Nashville and with this congregation, uh, the church at Lachlan Springs. And it's because of that that I'm incredibly excited to continue to glorify him in our time together. Uh, My name is Jacob Bell, and I am the ministry resident here at the church at Lachlan Springs. Uh, Catherine and I are so delighted uh, to call this place our home. In fact, this is the first place where we are not known as Jacob Bell and Catherine Sullivan. We are actually known as the Bells. Uh, It was over six months ago that we got married, and if there's anything that I could tell you, it's that because we are complete in Jesus, we're able to complement each other. Uh, We are learning over and over again how to love each other. And this week, uh, with the Christmas season, Catherine is learning a little bit more about what it is to be a bell. And in every Christmas photo, you you will always have the hashtag, Jingle Bells. Uh, It seems that in the Christmas season, the puns just keep on ringing. So it wasn't just our uh, first anniversary as a married couple. It was also an anniversary of something that was literally out of this world. Uh, Fifty years ago, uh, there was a little thing known as the Apollo 8 moon mission. Now, growing up in our culture, growing up for me, when all you know about space, it's Death Stars and Jedis and Mad Titans with their Infinity Gauntlets. You tend to think about space in a different lens, but we actually pulled it off. Humanity has actually gone to space. So let me tell you why uh, the Apollo 8 moon mission is so important. Number one, it was the first time that a space shuttle launched from Earth and orbited around the moon and came back. Number two, it is the first time that humanity got a snapshot of what the earth looked like from space. And number three, it was the first time that the world would tend to look at the universe just a little bit differently. Now, the Apollo 8 moon mission is a story about three astronauts, uh, Frank Borman, Jim Lovell, and William Bill Anders. Now, Anders was the rookie or the recruit of this uh, band of astronauts. He was somewhat of the fresh meat of NASA. He was very new to all this. So thinking about this mission to go to space, there's a lot of pressure to perform. I mean, we're not talking about a pressure like Titans versus Colts, when you're in kind of pressure. We're talking about the whole world is your audience kind of pressure. So there was a lot at stake. But in the summer of 1968, NASA decided to go ahead and go with the mission to the moon. Frank was really excited because they just wanted to beat the Soviets. He just wanted to get there before everyone else. Uh, Jim was excited because he felt like this journey would be more glorious than Lewis and Clark. But Bill, Bill was a very, he was skeptical. He, He felt that his role was very minimal and insignificant. But as we know today, he was dead wrong. The Earthrise photo, which is right behind me, the Earthrise photo was somewhat of a token of peace when the world was completely war-torn. 
It was somewhat of a way of remembering that we really are human. That when you look at this photo, you can see a little bit more looking at the world through God's own eyes. And even thinking about those three astronauts reciting the first 10 verses of Genesis. Now, reminiscing over the 50th anniversary of this moment, Jim Level said something that kind of caught my attention. He said that the world, God has given us a stage in which to perform. It's up to us with how the play turns out. Now, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, gosh, that's a lot of pressure. I mean, I wonder if anyone knew those three guys as Frank, Bill, and Jim, and not just the three guys that went around the moon. I wonder if they felt as if they were ever seen by anybody, or if they were only seen by their achievements. I wonder if they felt as if their worth was in their work, or if they ever felt that they were worthy Anyway, now coming out of a Christmas season where we are praying, come Jesus, come, generation after generation, we're a type of people that always wants to make a name for ourselves. We're out to wanting to achieve this, do this, get this right, get this to being better, going all this way, putting all our energy into that one thing. And because that's the case, we sacrifice presence for perfection, We tend to be 10 steps ahead and not really still in the moment. And because that's the case, we put our worth in our work. So words like reputation, words like worth, words like just significance, they haunt us because we're just completely unsettled with our worth. And knowing that we're coming out of an Advent season where we pray, come Jesus, come. Jesus does come, thanks be to God, Jesus does come and recognizes the heaviness that we put on our shoulders, recognizes the hardship and says, I'm going to tell you of another way. So this morning, I want you to hear these verses again. If you close your eyes with me and hear these verses as you're seated, I want you to hear these verses as if they are true, because they are. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lonely, lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, we are... (laughs) We are so delighted to be in your presence. Father, we love you and hallowed be your name. Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you that whatever happens, you decide to be with us. And Father, I pray for this time that we recognize that your rest doesn't come with any baggage. It doesn't need anything, but you give your rest freely. You give yourself freely. Father, I pray in this time that we just see Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now, after a summer of preparing to get married, Catherine and I, again, we're just going through the hectic season of getting married, and there's a lot of things uh, to do. But one of the things the Holy Spirit was leading me through was to learn a little bit more about the presence of God. Now, one of my mentors and friends, Aaron Bryant, uh, gave me a book called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Now, if you know anything about Brother Lawrence, uh, he's the type of guy who is a man of God. He was uh, a monk of the faith. He, well, if you talk to his friends, he wasn't the type of person who was going to be on a platform and just start saying things. Uh, He wasn't the type of person who was going to go to the street and just advance his agenda. His friends said about him that he was just simply present where he was, and more importantly, who he was with. And in his book, Practicing the Presence of God, uh, he said to one of his friends that we ought to practice the presence of God so much so that we couldn't tell a difference between pain and pleasure. The only thing that would pain us is just not being with him. Now, when I thought about that, I was like, are you kidding me? That's just too difficult. That's not simple. I mean... I don't know if Brother Lawrence was knowing what I have to do or what I have to get done. I got to be able to get my worth. I, I have to do something to be in his presence. But when I actually think about the presence of God, and I, I'm thinking about Isaiah 6, and I think about this God who is on his throne, just majestic and holy and loving and just all, he's just worthy. When I think about this God, I think about, does anything else matter? Does anything else matter in being in his presence? Now, being a guy that leads with a three on the Enneagram, I'm constantly thinking about how I can achieve uh, to get into his presence. How can I make myself look more worthy so I can be in his presence? Church, the thing I want to tell you is that God does not need you nor needs you to impress him. He already loves you. He already loves you. So that when we're in his presence, all we receive is this this adoption, this identity that he loves us as children. And because that is the case, we are able to open this text and think about his presence, and think about his promises. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, when you first hear those words, you're just like, how do I, how do I get that? How do, I, how do I receive that? If that's true, I want that. I want more of that. Well, I want you to feel encouraged because it is true. And there is just so much more depth than just the words that I just read. There is so much more than just these words. And because there's so much depth, this morning I'm just going to focus on three words. I'm going to focus on the words rest. I'm going to focus on the words yoke. I'm going to focus on the words come. Now, when we think about the word rest, we tend to think about taking a break or taking a nap. Now, trust me, those are not bad things. Uh, In fact, 
after the service or after Sunday morning services, I tend to have that Mexican food craving. Um, I tend to want to go straight to somewhere where I can get a fajita and some cheesy rice and me and Catherine can split. Um, that's, 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 ten, that's how I typically think through after a Sunday morning service. Go Southern Baptist. Um, but afterwards, I, give, I, allow, I allow the Holy Spirit to give me the excuse that Jesus rested, so I'm going to go take a nap. Uh, that's typically how that works. Now, that is not a bad thing, but that is not what he means by rest here. What he means about rest comes from the heritage of another word, a word known as Sabbath. Now, what Sabbath is in the Old Testament, it was a day dedicated to rest. It was a day where you would stop everything because on the seventh day, God created the heavens and the earth. So when we think about rest today, when we think about Sabbath today, we think about Sundays. Sundays are our Sabbath. But if we're being absolutely honest, um, there, really, there really isn't a lot of restful rhythms that happens on a Sunday morning. In fact, after the service, we tend to think that Sabbath means slothfulness. Somewhere we think that complete inactivity means that we're growing spiritually. Or maybe that's not the case. Maybe that Sundays is just not restful at all. Um, You got to get ready. You got to perform somehow. You got to look good. You have to look worthy. And because you have to look worthy, you miss that Jesus is already worthy. So you don't have to get ready per se, but you just come. So Sundays are more tiring. They're exhausting because you're putting all this work trying to get worth. But that's not what Jesus is offering here. That's not, that's not it. It's not a rest where uh, you can be able to take a nap or take a break or just, uh, just feel somewhat less tired. What the rest he is talking about, church, is so satisfying. Soul refreshing, soul restoring rest. And the reason that's the case hinges on the word yoke. Now, growing up, when I heard the word yoke uh, spoken by the pastor, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm going to be completely honest. When I heard the word yoke, I thought Jesus was talking about eggs. I, I thought he was talking about eggs, and when he said, take my yoke is easy, I'm like, well, is it, is it over easy eggs? Is that, is, that, is that what he's talking about, that rest is like over easy eggs? Uh, completely just confused. But that's not at all what yoke means. What yoke means in its orig- original language is taking up the path that one walks. Taking up the path that one walks. Now, the yoke that people will take on in the New Testament, it was, again, that instruction. They wanted to be God-honoring people. So they would go after the religious and just take on the way that they walked because they wanted to look worthy. They wanted to be right. They wanted to be righteous. So they decided to take up the yoke and instruction the way that one walked so they can feel a little bit better. Right, So that it can look more righteous. So they could be God-honoring. But truth be told, that when that yoke was on them, it didn't provide holiness. Instead, it was more heavy. 
Instead, that thinking about this relationship with God, I have to do whatever I can to be right. I have to do whatever I can to be better. I keep on thinking about my sin. I can't believe I messed up. I can't believe that uh, this is the way I turned out. So you're constantly, constantly, constantly being haunted by shame. The people in the New Testament, they actually uh, never could really Sabbath well because they're constantly thinking the 168 hours of a week that I've messed up, so I can't rest. I got to keep on going. I got to keep on making myself look good for God. I got to keep on looking more righteous. And because that's the case, they were so unsettled. They were driven so much so they were anxious that they were depressed and they were just having this spiritual trauma where they just felt as if it will, it, it's just not, I'm not getting refreshed. I'm, I'm, I got to prove myself to God. And it's because of that tone that I want you to see how sweet and loving and merciful Jesus really is. So when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus is saying is that I know this life is hard, but you were never meant to live in this heaviness. You were never meant to live like that. You can't. You can't work to get righteousness. So that's why I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to give you my righteousness so you can stop being slaved to this yoke of the world. That you can stop being slaved to constantly trying to get your worth from somebody or from your work or your achievements or more and more success. You don't have to worry about being right. Rather, I want you to be free in my righteousness. Stop living as a slave. Live as a child. Live as a child. It's because of that reality that we look at the word come. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word come is refreshing here. Galatians 5.1 uh, actually says this, for freedom Christ set us free, stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. When you're able to come to the Lord, you're not coming as a slave. You're coming free because here's the thing. It's not about what you bring to the table. It's about how he enters into the room. It's about how he enters into the room. Uh, in fact, this week, as I was walking with the Holy Spirit, I'll be honest with you, I was incredibly tempted. Think about, how, well, God, how do I perform to them? How do I make myself look good to them on a Sunday morning? How do I do that? And the Holy Spirit rebuked me right where I was and just said, no, it's not about you. Just tell them about me. Just tell them about me. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit told me while I was coming to him was this. Spiritual rest frees us from impression and leads us into intercession. Spiritual rest 
frees us from impression and leads us into intercession. And what I mean by that is because we have real, authentic rest, where we're able to just come to Jesus, because we're able to just come to Jesus, we recognize that we don't have to come impressing anyone or anything or anybody. We can come to Jesus, and what Jesus is going to do is that he's going to teach us how to love like him. He's going to teach us to want what he wants. He's going to teach us to pray like him. So that we're no longer worried about what we look like. Rather now we're passionate with a holy discontent to love on the people that don't yet know him. That don't yet come to the table freely and recognize that there's space here. There's space here. When you come to Jesus, church I want you to know this. When you come to Jesus, you also come to a heavenly father who already loves you. Whether you've had a really good week or you've had a really bad one. When you come to Jesus, you will come to a father who says, I already love you. You didn't have to, you didn't have to impress me. You, you didn't have to uh, do this thing or do this thing right. Or you didn't have to worry about messing up. I already love you. And I want you regardless. So bring me your brokenness because I want you. I want you. When you come to Jesus, coming to Jesus is for those who feel burnt out, who feel exhausted, who feel tired. So you come. You come to Jesus. Coming to Jesus is for those who feel like a sinner, who has completely been broken, who just completely feels like there's nothing else left. It's okay. Come to Jesus. Coming to Jesus is for the person who is just completely done with messing up, who completely done being judged by whether or not they're right or wrong, completely done with trying to impress somebody else. It's okay. Come to Jesus. Coming to Jesus is not just for the person who is weary. It's also for the person who is well. Bring us your celebration. We need more of it because the promises that Jesus brings in his presence are resurrection promises. The resurrection promises that are fulfilled. So you come to Jesus because there's broken people who are coming to Jesus. They need to hear about that celebration you had. They need to hear about how sweet he is. They need to hear that because you came to Jesus broken, you were able to encounter a God who already loves them. I love how uh, the Holy, how the Holy Spirit leads uh, with EA's passage uh, for prayer. That's how He also led me to um, thinking about Jesus and coming to Him. I'm just going to reread it. Uh, Psalm 23, verses one through three: The Lord is my shepherd; I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Uh, during this Christmas season, I was able to go back home and just look at uh, just what it was to go through childhood. Because again, I just got married. I wanted to feel like a boy in, in some sense. Um, and uh, I went back home just to uh, go home and just be in that place and... When I was there, I was sitting in my kitchen, and I was looking out through uh, the, the uh, 
the windows of the kitchen looking at the backyard. And I was reminiscing over uh, what it was to be a child. I remember how my mom threw me an 11th, uh, 11th year old birthday party because I was into Sherlock Holmes and Pokemon. So it was kind of like this Sherlock Holmes themed Pokemon where you're gonna go catch them all, but it's gonna be a little bit harder than you think. Um, and there was another time where I played football in high school and we got all the boys out there to play uh, football in our backyard. And I had my, my friend Isaac throw me some nice dimes into the, my backyard end zone because when you're a lineman playing football, you're, in, you're basically an all-star in the backyard. Um, I also thought about when I was a young child, when I was about four years old, that I was fascinated, fascinated with fireflies and just wanted to hang outside and lay in the grass and just look at them all. I remember how my dad uh, came up to me and decided to lay with me um, in our backyard and just look at the fireflies and the stars uh, together. When you come to Jesus, this, this Jesus who is a good shepherd, not only does he lie you down in green pastures, In that process of his presence, of just being with him, he restores your soul. He restores your soul, renews you. It's still a hard life. This is a Jesus that, again, offers resurrection promises. I mean, he's a Jesus who said he was going to be crucified and then resurrected. There's going to be hardship, but the good news is that resurrection is promised And he proved it himself. So when you come to this Jesus, this good shepherd, not only do you lie down in green pastures, you recognize that you have a heavenly father who's just sweet in being with you and just tells you, I just want to restore your soul. It's, It's not about what they say about you. You might be going through a dark valley. You might be going into a dark valley where you have to prove yourself or do this thing, but fear not. Fear not because I'm going to be with you this entire time. And even though you're going through that hardship and you feel as if he's not there, he is. That's why he sent Jesus to be with you in that. Church, 2019 is coming upon us. And this is the part of the sermon where we start talking about 2019 because it's December 30th. Um, But I don't want, I don't want, I do not believe the Holy Spirit is directing something about what you could do in 2019. No, because the spirit that we live by is not a spirit of fear or slavery. It's a, he's a spirit of adoption. So it's not about 2019. What it's about is about today. How you live today in a spirit of adoption that you are a son and you are a daughter and that you can come to Jesus right now, today, come to the table today and recognize that there is a rest that's authentic and real right here for you, right here for you. Will you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Father, if we are being honest, some of us are a whole lot more weary than we say we are. For some of us, 
we do pray in the season of Advent, come Jesus, come. But for some of us, we haven't received spiritual rest because we were praying to a different Jesus. We weren't praying to this Jesus who's come to say that this is still a hard life, but you can come to me. Father, I pray for my friends in this room that they recognize that there is no baggage, that they, that they have, they, in being in your presence, that there's baggage. They don't have to bring anything for them to be Christ's bride. They don't have to get the finest dress. They don't have to dress themselves up or try to impress you, but rather you are a God who just wants us and enters into our brokenness and just says, come. Father, your word says that today is a day of salvation. Somewhere we stopped believing that. But even in our unbelief, you still tell us come. So Lord, may we come and recognize that you are a God who already loves us. And that's just so sweet. So will we, will we come? I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.